Lord, be glorified as we come to understand more fully and believe more fully that it's who you say we are, even as we sung, that holds our identity. That it is Jesus and only Jesus whom we trust that it is your faithfulness alone that is our great peace, our joy, our security, our home. This we pray and this we sing in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The rest of you who are standing, you can be seated. I want to add my welcome to uh, everyone who has wished you a, a warm Sunday morning. So glad to see you, and I do see a number of kids in the room. Kids, delighted you're in here. I know we've had to make adjustments this morning uh, with weather, but uh, it is a family feel in our worship center this morning, and uh, we're grateful for that. Let me say to parents, you know, with, with, with kids this morning, if you need to get up with your kids, let's walk through this almost like a, uh, you know, like a Christmas Eve service for us where, there you go, baby Jesus crying already, um, where we're free to, to get up, go out, step out, uh, every, everything, as I love to say at that time, everything uh, belongs. Speaking of belonging, if, if you're new to fellowship here in the room or online, uh, we want to help you take a next step to uh, stepping into a community of faith, uh, whether it's fellowship or a you know, number of great communities of faith around here. For us, that means going to fellowship, um, going to our website. Uh, this is the what's happening. I want, to, I want the slide on uh, Connected Fellowship, the Connected Fellowship uh, website. And that way you can sign up for a class we have every month, first Sunday of the month. Uh, the next one will be February 4th, which is an introduction to our church, and, and we would love for you to be there. Um, something I don't, we don't mention a ton from the front, but I, we, we, we wanna say it here at the beginning of the new year to remind you um, that we have worked really hard to um, provide for our community of faith and the broader community here a resource in a counseling center that uh, is staffed with uh, gifted, wise, godly, trained counselors uh, Carl talked about this path of grief. Look, we're gonna walk through roads of grief this year. You're walking in some of those now. Challenges that may hit your world and you need help on. Y'all, the, the, the counseling center is there for you. And so this is just a, for some of you, you might go, I didn't even know that was, yes. You know, over, over I wanna say 15 counselors, you know, and this is not the right word, but I'll say it, but like curated as, as uh, Lindsay Castleman has identified and recruited those that we feel super confident you can sit with on your journey of faith. So take advantage of that. Let me encourage you to know that that's available. And I wanna thank you for your giving. You know, as we come week by week, uh, you have been so generous with your giving. There are a number of ways that you give. Um, if you're new to fellowship, uh, please know that our understanding is that Giving is as much a part of the Christian life as the songs we've just sung, as praying, 
is obedience and faith and trusting Christ, that it is, in fact, one of the most significant ways that God actually changes our hearts as we steward that which he's entrusted to us for the kingdom. So thank you for uh, your generosity and your giving in so many, so many ways. All right, with that, I know we've been standing, but I'm gonna ask you to just go ahead and stretch your legs one more time. Let's stand together and take your Bibles to John 17. Follow along in your Bibles as we stand in honor of God's word. I'll read it and you can follow along in your Bibles as I do. Our text today, out of John 17, we pick up where Rob left off last week, and we'll pick up verses 6 to 13. Jesus is praying, and he prays. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. You can be seated. Lisa and I have um, three, three kids and a daughter-in-law. Uh, our two girls live out of town. We've got a daughter, Susan. She's 25. She lives in Brooklyn. She's been there just for you know, about a year and a half. And we have a daughter, Sally, who's 22. She's our youngest. She lives in Orlando. Um, you know, we, we work to get them home a couple times a year. And uh, I will say this, every time they are on their way home, whether it's a flight, whether they're driving with a friend, however it may be, there is this, in the back of, you know, our minds as parents, uh, you know, we're thinking about them, excited they're coming, but we're praying that they'll get safely home. Uh, We have a son, Darden, he's uh, married to Jordan. They were out of the country recently, and you love it when your kids travel and do those things. They do that a lot. And I pray for a safe trip for them, fun. But I'm telling you, in the back of my mind, there's always that prayer. You're praying that they'll get safely home. I mean, for y'all, you don't have to have kids traveling like that. You have kids on a field trip. You have kids spend the night, whatever it may be. 
You're praying they'll get safely home. And you, you don't have to have children. You, you feel that, don't you feel that for family members, for friends? Whenever they're, you know, they're away from home, you just are praying they will get safely home. We pick up this section of uh, the high priestly prayer. It seems to me that uh, Jesus has a similar concern for his own, that they'll get safely home. And I mean home, not little h, I mean home, capital H. I mean that those who are his will make it ultimately to home. (laughs) We sang about a place that, that he has for us and he's praying that they'll make that journey. I'm talking about that journey from that moment, as Carl said, a friend died this week, the last breath on earth and the first breath in Christ's presence. For any of you who have put your trust in Christ, so, so you believe, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again. Um, how, how certain, I'm quite, I don't answer out loud, but I'm just saying to ponder. How certain can you be that, that you will make it safely home? A second question might, might just be this, does it matter? I mean, does it make any difference this, and you know, I'm speaking of eternal security. Does it make any difference that you know, that you know that you will make it home? In answer to the second question, does it matter? I'll just simply say this. We are in the last few moments of Jesus's time with his disciples. He is within hours of crucifixion, separation from them. And he, he prays about them knowing they get safely home. I, I wanna say, I think it matters immensely to Christ. And I also wanna say this, that it has everything to do um, with life itself. So it's not just, okay, I know I've got an eternal home that's secure. It's this, it's how you, li- you, know, how you live today to the moment you take your last breath is shaped, I wanna suggest in part, by the certainty and the conviction you have that you will Make it safely home. How certain can you be, y'all? How certain can you be? Well, the text is gonna unpack that for us. John 17, you know, is a record of Jesus praying. This is absolutely fascinating when when you stop and think about it. And here's why we've slowed down to take chapter 17 in five messages. Because I want you to think about this. This is, it'd be like you sitting in this room and Jesus Christ himself is before the Father praying to the Father and you're watching. You're actually listening to him talk. Talk to God the Father in your presence. This is why many consider this perhaps the most sacred passage in the four gospels. Verses one through five last week. This is Jesus' prayer for himself and then six through uh, 20, 20, he'll, he'll pray for the disciples and then 20 to the end, he prays for those who will believe afterwards. But that one through five, Rob told us, reminded us, Jesus begins by praying for glory, his own and the fathers, how they reciprocate that glory to one another. Reminded us that glory finds its meaning in the Hebrew word kavod and, and that word really is rooted in weights and measures. That's where it comes from. How much does something weigh? How big is it? That, the idea being 
the weight of something carries the importance of something. Do you feel that? That's, that's the idea. The weight of God is immeasurable. Thus his glory, who he is and all that he is, immeasurable. Specifically in the passage here, we see God's glory is, is it's revealed, it's shown in, in the work of Jesus, redeeming a lost humanity and creation. Such that all who put their trust in Christ, you all, uh, speaking of safely home, don't just get to know, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna you got a home one day. No, because what does he say? Eternal life is that they would know you. So it's like immediately eternal life is real in the life of a person who's trusted Christ in knowing I've been redeemed by the work of Jesus to be acceptable in the presence of the Father. Here at verse six is where we're picking up our text. He takes a turn. And so now he's gonna pray for, he's gonna pray for the disciples and then he'll, he'll pray for those at, who, who come after them at the very end. That'll be the last message in our in our chapter 17. We're in 6 through 13, and, and uh, we've decided to break the prayer for the disciples into two sections, just so you know this. So here's the first. And here we're gonna talk about, at least, we're gonna talk about at least these three things, belief, a savior, and joy. And so I've got it on the screen, just so you know, here's what I see in the text. These three points will cover a belief that saves, that's verses six through eight, a savior who secures nine through 12, and then a joy that satisfies. And we'll see how they connect to our life. Let's start here with a belief that saves, a belief that saves. That's six through eight. I'm just gonna read it again. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given to me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me and they have received them. They have come to know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. For those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, I'm gonna have another thought experiment for you just to ponder. Have you ever, have you ever really thought about why you're a Christian? Have you ever just thought about why, man, why am I a Christian? Why do I believe the gospel? Now you may say, and this is true, you go, well, because when, when I saw that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and someone said that to me, explained to me, I believed. And, and I, I don't wanna dismiss that. Yes, you are a Christian because you believe, but I wanna go under that. I mean, I mean, ultimately, why are you a Christian? If all you had to answer the question was verse six, Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours, they were. And you gave them to me. And they have kept 
your word. I'll say it this way. This is for those who genuine faith in Christ, because I don't want to be misunderstood on this. You were God's before you believed. God the Father gave you to God the Son. Then God the Son made God the Father's words known to you. And then you believe the words of Jesus. Five times in the entire prayer, Jesus says up to the Father, of those, he says, those whom you gave me. It takes nothing away from belief and the necessity of belief. So please hear me on this. I'm not saying, you know, belief has nothing to do with why you're a Christian. It has everything to do. Jesus doesn't diminish it, right? Jesus says, he, I, gave, I gave these your words. And he, and he says, and they kept them. What does that mean? It means they believed them. He even goes on to say in the text, and they believed. They to keep is to conform one's actions to. So it's like you and I came to go, wow, this is what the gospel means and is, and I'm gonna conform my life to it. I'm gonna believe. But understanding that before your exercise of faith, you were God's, and that God graciously and freely gave you to Jesus, I think keeps our believing in its proper context, if I can say it this way, and that is that our salvation is ultimately not because of you or me, because of God's gracious giving of us to the Son. And so now we find ourselves like, whoa, I wasn't gonna go, I, I didn't see, I wasn't gonna see this in this passage per se, but now we find ourselves in the doctrine of election. Why are we in the doctrine of election? Because I think Jesus talks about it a lot. We did uncover, unpack this more deeply in John 10. So, so I'm gonna just refer you back to the John 10 message. I did one of those and took a bit of a deeper dive. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back. You just want a refresher. I just want to say here, a proper understanding, a biblical understanding, of my, of my understanding, of, and there's many views on this, but of a doctrine of, of, of election is important for at least these two reasons. I've said one, and that is it keeps all glory for salvation where it belongs. So when we ultimately stand and say, I'm a believer because God in his Grace opened my eyes. Puts everything on, on, on God the Father. His graciousness on our behalf. Our, our hearts, you know, we talk about this a lot. Our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices are irreparably, you know, bent towards sin and selfishness and self-preservation such that my understanding of scripture is that we're incapable of believing unless God first acts on our behalf. New Testament scholar Gary Berg helps us just to quote, quick quote from this. He writes around this passage, the devastating, it's on the screen, the devastating and controlling darkness of the world requires that God participate in our decision to come to light. That's at the heart, quite frankly, I think of the doctrine of election or else no one would be saved. 
Yet those who remain in the darkness, who do not come to the light, they stand under his judgment for not availing themselves of this merciful opportunity. Why does it matter? It's, it puts the glory, I think, most fully where it belongs. But secondly, and this is in our text and this is where we'll go next, it's a bulwark. You know what that is? It's a, you know, it's a stronghold. It's a, it's a strong place, so to speak, of eternal security. And that's where we're gonna unpack. Suffice it to say, I, I wanna suggest that one's confidence in eternal security must be based on something more than you know, one's choice or oneself, but something greater. That's the bulwark, I think, which takes us to the next part. So from a belief that saves to a savior who secures, look at verses nine through 12. Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. There he says it again, for they are yours, all are mine, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, only time he dresses God in that way, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. A savior who secures. You know, it sounds strange to hear Jesus say, I'm not praying for the world. And uh, that's where, again, y'all, we, we have to see these statements within their context, certainly even within the context of John. <laughs> the world in John's gospel, by the way, is the world aligned ag God against God, away from God. The world system that would press you, that would seek to conform you to reject God. It's the world in John's gospel. Why would Jesus not pray for the world in this prayer. Remember the context of the prayer. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he's getting ready to entrust his mission to bring the gospel to the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal. So he's getting ready to, to go to the cross to secure that. And then he's gonna hand that mission to who? To the disciples, so here in this prayer, this is all, he's praying for the disciples who will then carry this message of the gospel to the world. Does that make sense? So he's not praying, he's not praying for the world per se here. It's just like if there was a tremendous storm and you know, people are dying in this, about to drown in this boat and we send out friends and family to go save them, we pray for our friends and family. That doesn't take away the fact that we care about those who are drowning. No, we're actually praying that they too will be saved. We also need to just take a quick look at this statement around Judas. It's easy to, to be a bit confusing. He says, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. So it's kind of like, you know, we're talking about how secure one can be and you go, well, well, you're secure until you lose it. You know, that here was Judas who, who, who he's the only one who, who, who Jesus lost. And it, it could be almost like, okay, he loses one out of 12, two out of 24. 
<laughs> you know, no, that's not what this is saying. Judas's betrayal and, and, and rejection was prophesied uh, by the scripture, Psalm 41. While Judas has all the outward, outward look of a believer, I mean, how much more could he, he have almost a, an external endorsement than that he's one of the 12? So, you, so it looks like he's way in, right? And yet his heart and his character are revealed in his choice to betray Christ. He never truly trusted. He never kept, as the passage up here talks about, they kept the word, they received the word, they came to believe the word. He never did that. Thus, I'm gonna suggest that he was, he was never saved. A better reading, and this is, of course, an interpretive reading. James Montgomery Boyce, I'll put it up here, uh, restates the verse in this way. I think it's helpful. Jesus says, I've lost none of them whom you have given me, none at all. But the son of perdition, is the son of destruction, is lost, as has been prophesied in the scripture. Now to the father who keeps. That is in, in Jesus's absence, Jesus is praying, father, would you keep them? <laughs> would you make sure they make it, so to speak? He's speaking of this moment. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And so they're gonna go through a massive upheaval over the next 48 hours. And so yes, in the immediate context, father, they're getting ready to go through it. Would you keep them through this? Because <laughs> it's gonna get ugly. And then the longer, of course, application, would you keep them when I ascend to you? Which post-resurrection, he ascends to the Father. And we, you and I know this, Jesus physically isn't present, but his spirit is present, of course, in us. Jesus says, I kept and guarded them. What does he mean? He, he means that up to this, over these last three years, I've kept them in your word up to this moment when I will be glorified on the cross, will you keep them the same way until they are finally with you? I can say it like this. Jesus prays that through all the world will throw at them and you. That through all of that, they will get safely home. Now here I wanna reach back and I wanna grab something that I mentioned earlier in the text, but I, I knew I would cover it here. Just look at, up at verse six, let your eyes glance up. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Look at verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And then look at verse 12. He says, you know, I have kept them in your name. Name in Hebrew is not a moniker. It's not Chris. It's not Jack. It's not Melissa. It, it, it's not just something that identifies you. It is, it is your identity for the Hebrew mind. It's your character. It's your nature. It's all you are and who you are. Psalm 9, uh, Psalm 9, 9, 10 says this. He said, the psalmist says, those who know your name put their trust in you. 
Now, you know, when you see that, it's not like those who, those who know your name's Yahweh, they put their trust in you. No, we know that he means more than just the name. He means those who know your character, those who know what you're like, those who know who you've revealed yourself to be. Oh, oh, those who know all that. Oh yes, those put their trust in you. So Jesus made known, manifested, right? The, the character and the heart of God the Father. And as he prays for, 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 for the disciples' security, he prays that God the Father will bring all of them and us safely home on the basis of his name. So, so our eternal security, whether or not we get safely home, rests in part upon the name of God. Isn't it fascinating how many names the Bible has of God? It's like to reinforce who this God is. The faithfulness, trustworthiness, the capacity the capability of our God. What do we know? Just, I mean, we, we can't even scratch the surface. We know his, in his names that he's the faithful God. He's merciful, gracious, kind. He's sovereign, infinite, loving, good, powerful, all powerful, ever present, holy, patient, unchanging. And he's promised that nothing can separate us from his love for those who are in Christ Jesus. How trustworthy is this God? Talk about his name. How certain will I, how certain can we be that we'll get through this world when everything at this world, and trust me, I, I feel this many times, like, oh my gosh, can I believe this? Is, everything conspires to subvert faith. How confident can we be that we get safely home? Number one, I think it, well, it rests upon at least these two things. One, one, the name of God. There's nothing greater than the name of God and all he has promised. But here's the second thing, and this is where I want you to just stop for a moment and go, let's just look at this. It rests upon the prayer of Jesus. And so you've got to ask yourself, how confident am I that God the Father will answer Jesus's prayer? You ever thought about it that way? Can I say to you, I am so confident. I am so confident. And the Bible gives us every reason to be confident that God the Father will answer the prayer of Jesus the Son. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 7.25. The writer says, he is able to save to the uttermost. That is forever, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What does that mean? Since Jesus always lives to pray for them. See, when I say, how confident are you that, that God the Father will answer Jesus' prayer? Y'all, I'm not saying, I'm not just saying, I'm confident he's answering Jesus' prayer in John 17. I'm so confident. 
But add on to that the fact that at this moment, Jesus intercedes for you and me. We, we, you know, we can forget that. He's aware of, the, of your life at this moment and right where you stand. And he's interceding on your behalf. And I trust that God the Father is answering his prayer. No wonder Jesus ends this particular part with a joy, a joy that satisfies. Look at verse 13, last, last verse we look at. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they, now listen, that's the disciples in the room and as we'll see in a few weeks, those who believe through them, which is me and you, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He doesn't say that they may have joy, right? He says that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. And so Jesus defines there's only one joy that fulfills. There's only one joy that satisfies. There's only one joy that, that lasts. There's only one joy that remains present, okay? Remains present, real, in the midst of hardship, suffering, crisis, pain, loss, even death. And you say, well, well how? Well, because Jesus is that joy. And he's experienced that joy. He is that joy. Even as, note this, what did he do? He suffered hardship, crisis, pain, injustice, loss, brokenness, death. And he experienced it, you all, in ways that you and I cannot fully get there. What I'm saying is deeper, more fully than you and I ever would as the sinless son of God. Hebrews 12, two, the writer's talking about people who suffered massively. In that passage, he talks, he says that he's talking about people who suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoning, being sawn in two, pierced by the sword, who had no home, who were afflicted, mistreated. And, and, and he speaks of how they kept the faith in the midst of that, how, the, how they kept the joy of Christ even in that. And he says this in verse two, he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. This is a New Living Translation. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And by the way, guess what he's doing there? He's praying for me and you. It's not saying that hardship and crisis, those, those things are joy. Those aren't joy. But because of what Christ has done, those cannot diminish or rob or take away true joy that's secured in Christ. Biblical joy is non-circumstantial. It's not based on the circumstances of life. If joy requires, I, I struggle with this a lot, but if joy requires everything in your world be just like you want it to be, 
It's like, I'm gonna have joy when everything's this, that, the other. If, if that is, is your requirement for biblical joy, I think those of us old enough in the, old enough in the room know this, that, that can and will never be this side of heaven. Not in my own broken body and not in my own fallenness and not in this world's fallenness. It, 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 it'll never be that way. But I also wanna say this and challenge you on this. There's another reason that can never bring biblical joy that we may not think about when we're thinking that way, which I often do. And that is, I can't have joy that way because I've put myself in the place of God. Who's to say how my life should be? Am I to say, okay, when all these things, as if I know what life really is, you know what I'm saying? I've put myself in the place of God. That's no biblical joy there. But what if biblical joy was based not on circumstances, not on my wishes, but on the conviction that God is answering each and every prayer Jesus is praying for you? That's the ground of joy. I want you to close your Bibles, look up at the screen for a moment. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up here. We're gonna take the table in a song of response before a benediction. And I want you to just think about this passage in this way. Here's where we're trying to apply it. I'm trying to move you towards, not just, okay, that's interesting about joy. I learned something. No, I, I wanna be changed. It's why we teach the Bible. It's why we follow Jesus. So sit with this thought for a moment. I've got a, I just want you to ask the Spirit to help you answer this. If God the Father is answering Jesus' prayer in John 17, in answering the prayer Jesus is praying for me right now, I can know with certainty. What would you put in the blank? I mean, you could put, I can know with certainty, joy. That's, that's great. But just think about it. There may be a few answers. I can know with certainty. that whether my kids get safely home on this trip or something happens, whatever, I can know with certainty that God is in control. That God is, you know, just answer it. Sit with that for a moment. I can know with certainty these things. You might write it down. That's what I do when I really wanna hold something or just hold it in your heart. Spirit, speak to us in these moments and change us. invite you to take the elements for the Lord's table. Go ahead and grab those. If you missed it, you know, maybe if you're a guest, 
might not know, we take the Lord's table week by week. We have them outside. You can just slip up and go out in the arcade and grab it. This table, of course, is for those who've put their trust in Christ. You're resting in his finished work on the cross. For me, this is, this is the t- who the table is for. Take the bread and take the cup and let's hold them in, in your hands and let's stand together holding the bread and holding the cup. Oh God, we're mindful week by week as we come to this table of the great work you did, Lord Jesus, on our behalf. That for the joy set before you, you endured the cross and you despised the shame and you did that for us. body beaten and bruised and broken on our behalf. What a picture of brokenness in our life and in the world. You endured it for us. We say thank you. Receive the cup. I mean receive the bread. cross you were pierced for our transgressions your blood poured out you died that we might never have to be separated from you nor the father you did this on our behalf we know it with certainty and we trust all that you secured for us in this death and in your resurrection We say thank you. Receive the cup. We have sung, Father, this morning a number of times of your name and all it holds and all it entails and all that it means. And so even now, hear our cry of praise and adoration hear our statement of faith and trust in who you are in all you are in your name on our behalf